This is Rabbi Sharon Brous, Rabbi Adi Kar, where we're dedicated to reinvigorating Jewish community, ritual, and learning, all while laying the foundation for a just and loving society. You're listening to Ikar's podcast, where you can hear our sermons from Shabbat and holidays, our teachings, our guest speakers, basically anything we think worth hearing that we can capture and stream, you can listen to right here. The whole Megillah. I mean, literally the whole Megillah. So thank you so much for being with us. Happy Pride, everyone. Or something I know I like to say in recent years, and I've heard others say on Pride Shabbat, is Chag Pride Sameach. Chag Sameach is, you know, uh, we say to, to a joyous holiday. We say it. It's reserved for our three pilgrimage festivals for Sukkot, Pesach, Shavuot. And yet there is something just as holy for many of us about Pride Month. And we also say Hallel on these festivals that I just named, praising and thanking God for great miracles throughout our history and holding out for faith of future redemption. But I found out this week there's a synagogue in San Francisco, Sha'ar Zahav, which is an LGBTQIA synagogue that actually sings Hallel on Pride Shabbat. And so in that spirit, I, I'm recounting the story of the queer community of the past 50 years. It's, it's an epic journey of highs and lows. And, and I feel as though we've experienced many miracles to arrive at the moment we stand today. Even looking in my lifetime, born in the mid 1980s, I bore witness to rapid change of the queer community and our acceptance into society, even amidst a lot of pain and struggle. I was named after my great uncle Sandy, who tragically lost his life in the year before I was born. It only came out after he was killed that he was gay. And although he was a city councilman in Covington, Kentucky, where he lived, he was never publicly open. And as I grew up, I remember hearing about the AIDS epidemic in around me, but in, in far off places from where I grew up in Ohio. Yet I heard about it plaguing the gay community. And I even remember learning about it through Rent, the musical with a plea for acceptance. And then in the 2000s, the conversation around queer folks appeared to shift a little. I remember feeling so proud that the reform movement where I grew up began marrying queer couples before it was legally allowed in most states. I remember marching on the mall in Washington for the National Mar Equality March in 2009, feeling such hope and excitement that change was coming. But the path toward equality hasn't been linear and has been, it hasn't been an upward trend. I also remember watching on my phone on the night that reports came out that there had been a shooting in Orlando. There was a shooting at this queer friendly night call, club called Pulse five years ago tomorrow. Little did I know as I was watching this come through on my phone, I had no idea that this incident was about to cut short the lives of 49 beautiful people who were dancing the night away and celebrating who they were. But yet, I also remember the year before, I remember exactly where I was when I found out the Supreme Court had legalized gay marriage. That euphoric day, I remember someone told me that they've never seen me have such a big smile on my face throughout the whole day. And the years after that moment, as a cis gay man, I feel grateful to feel included and accepted in all aspects of my life and even the Jewish community. After recounting the miracles God gave us in Hallel, we say, Odecha ki anitani, I will thank you since you answered me and you have become my salvation. And then the next line, Evan maasu habonim haitala rosh pina, the stone that was left or rejected by the builders has become the main cornerstone of society. Growing up not knowing whether I would be accepted or rejected, in recent years, I felt like I made it. I made it into the cornerstone. 
However, the truth is it took me a long time to realize my own privilege in my experience. While some in the queer community began to feel a part of that cornerstone, there are still too many, particularly our trans and non-binary siblings who in 2021 do not feel a part. While much work had been done to welcome queer individuals into society, queer people can still be fired for revealing their identity in many states in the US. And while we could spend this month in 2021 checking out the displays of rainbow clothes at Target and then grabbing a cup of coffee from Starbucks in a rainbow cup and then feeling so excited to eat a rainbow salad at Sweetgreen, one might forget that there are too many queer individuals in our midst who are suffering and marginalized and even being killed for who they are and expressing their gender. As a society in 2021, we all know there is a long way to go before we have reached full acceptance for all of our queer siblings. So traditionally at Ikar on Pride Shabbat, we lift up voices of queer members of our community to help honor and celebrate them. Tonight, we are going to lift up three voices of trans and non-binary Ikarites. After we've seen a vicious assault on the rights of trans and non-binary Americans in this past couple of years, it's time we lift up these individuals and hear their stories. It is time we ensure that all members of the queer community feel as if their stone is the Rosh Pina, the cornerstone to our Jewish communities and to greater society. The next line in Hallel in Psalm 118 says, this is the day of the Lord. Let us exalt and rejoice upon it. It is only when all queer individuals are heard, supported and made equal and fully loved and embraced by our communities that we can truly exalt and rejoice in the full meaning of Chag Pride Sameach. I am now honored to introduce our first speaker, Ari Benor. You might remember them from their B'nai Mitzvah drosh last winter, playing multiple roles, acting out their drosh for us live on Zoom. So please welcome Ari. Hi people, I am here and very queer. Of course, that's kind of obvious because I have my non-binary flag and I'm speaking at Pride Shabbat. First off, being genderqueer isn't based off of whether you're feeling stereotypically feminine or masculine. It's based off of gender dysphoria and euphoria. Let me explain. Gender dysphoria is the experience of feeling uncomfortable with your assigned gender, be it with bathrooms, chest, pronouns, name, or genitalia. Being trans or genderqueer is not only measured by gender dysphoria because it makes it seem like it's all about discomfort. A lot of genderqueer people don't think they're genderqueer because they're not uncomfortable enough to be genderqueer, which I think is really harmful. Instead, it's measured by gender euphoria, which is the opposite. It's the experience of feeling by looking androgynous, being in your bathroom of comfort, being called by the right name and pronouns, or holding your flag for the first time. I'll give some personal examples on times I felt gender euphoria and dysphoria. My first dis gender dysphoria experience was when I was on a car trip with my family. We had to pee, so we stopped at a bathroom. But for some reason, I now know it's gender dysphoria, but then I didn't. I felt really uncomfortable in the girls' bathroom, so I just held my pee in. An experience of gender euphoria took place when I had recently come out to my family. Every time someone called me Ari, I would get super happy. It didn't even matter what my parents were asking me to do. Ari, do the dishes, please. Yay! <laughs> this is one time when my gender dysphoria really affected me. 
I was trying on dresses for my bini mitzvah, and there was this one dress. It was beautiful, dark blue with shinies on it. But when I tried it on, a really bad cloud of dysphoria came, and I just had to take it off. But I had no words for it, and I just started crying. I feel supported and gender euphoric when people call me Ari or use they, them pronouns for me. I feel gender dysphoria when people call me Ariella or use she, her pronouns for me when I am non-binary. Right now, in terms of my own gender, I'm gender fluid, mostly switching between non-binary and pan-gender. All ex um, pan-gender is the experience of identifying with all genders. Pan-gender people use all pronouns. He, she, they, you name it, they use it. People might say, how can you be all genders at once? And I've come up with a good way to explain. Pan-gender people feel no gender dysphoria for any pronoun and an equal amount of gender euphoria for all pronouns. Make sense? I feel very lucky to be living here and now and in this particular community because we all know we're the best. I know others aren't as fortunate, but thanks to a multi-generational team effort, I can safely say I am queer and proud. Our next speaker tonight, we have Aaron McCaro, a longtime and beloved Ikarite, who is with us here tonight to share his story. Aaron. Hello, happy Pride, everyone. So um, there are two things that you need to know about me this evening. One, I hate Purim. And two, I graduated from college in 2007. It's important that you know that I'm in my mid-30s and that I graduated from college more than a decade ago because this year, 2021, 33 states have introduced over 100 bills to limit the equality of transgender and non-binary people across the country. While I find that deeply troubling and I'm actively choosing to take, the, I'm actively choosing to take this moment during Pride Month to share a message of celebration and resilience rather than one of panic or despair. Back in 2007, around this precise, precise time of year, I was preparing to graduate from a women's college as a male identifying student. I was living off campus despite attending a college in which 100% of students were on campus residence, not because I chose to, but because the administration of the college forced me to move off campus because I'd started using male pronouns. And I was also struggling at the time with deciding whether to attend my graduation at all, not because I didn't love and cherish my professors and my friends and my time in college or value what I'd accomplished but because I knew that I was gonna be called to walk across the stage by a name that didn't resonate with me and that I hadn't used in three and a half years. My diploma to this day still has the wrong name on it and is stuffed away in a box somewhere in my garage, I think. Um, I'm setting the stage here to convey that while my undergraduate years were really wonderful in a lot of ways, they were also intensely difficult. I was the first out trans student at the women's college I attended and being the first, there was no roadmap. I had to make my own way, sometimes surrounded by loving supporters, sometimes saddled with the misconceptions of those that didn't want to learn how to be supportive, and unfortunately, sometimes intentionally being harmed by folks that weren't content, content with just unhelpfully standing aside. It was a really mixed bag. That's why it was with some trepidation that I ventured back to my alma mater in 2015 to speak with students on campus about the history of the college's LGBTQ community. The on-campus queer student group called Family, wanted to hear more about how the school had got its first gender neutral restrooms and the decision-making process around whether to embrace or to reject trans applicants to the college. Since I was centrally involved in both of those efforts, they wanted me to come and speak on a panel with two more recent trans alums. The conversation that I had encountered on campus and the diversity of the, voice, the voices present uh, stretched my own ideas of the position a women's college could occupy in the evolving public dialogue around gender identity and gender discrimination. And it made me feel more at home as alum of a college than I'd ever expected. A college that had kicked me off campus, failed to ever change my school records to my correct name, and had done their best to hide me from sight, now had trans and gender non-binary students serving as residential advisors in the dorms, and even a trans-identified student scheduled to be a commencement speaker. There were conversations happening around neo-pronouns and 
other current issues on campuses that I even felt out of touch with. I was floored by the transformation. Was this the same school that I graduated from less than 10 years ago? Now we're gonna jump back to Purim for a minute. Remember when I said earlier about Purim, my aforementioned least favorite holiday? I can't stand the uncertainty. I hate the chaos. I hate the topsy-turviness of it all. It's just not my thing. But it also holds aloft why I wanna celebrate, even right now, in 2021 with more anti-trans and anti-gender difference bills on the books than any other year in our country's history. Purim gives us a prism, an opportunity to see the Jews of Shoshana that were 100% aware of the dangers around them and chose to celebrate anyway. We're acutely aware of the injustice of this moment too and the very real dangers that trans and gender non-binary communities are facing right now. But I also want us to be aware of the amazing transformations that are happening over relatively short periods of time, like the dr dramatic changes at my alma mater that happened in less than 10 years time. Progress always moves more slowly than we'd hoped. The time it takes for the needle to shift can be especially painful for those most impacted and worse, sometimes change doesn't come fast enough for, for those who need it to even benefit. But ultimately what I wanna hold on to right now is that progress still happens. The Ark still pens storage of justice. And the Jews of the Purim story, um, like them, I want us to celebrate the victories of today wholeheartedly, even when they may be erased, I hope temporarily by legislation tomorrow, because I think we deserve it. Happy Pride and uh, Shabbat Shalom. You may know Jen as a staple on our Kabbalat Shabbat Zoom services over the course of the pandemic, always dancing and singing alongside Jen's partner, Clara. Um, so please welcome Jen. I was praying that my dog doesn't have a tantrum while I'm speaking, so. <laughs> um, I'm Jen, uh, I'm non-binary and you can use any pronouns that you want for me, but if you really wanna make me smile, use they, them. Um, I wanna talk to you about hair. Um, because hair carries so much symbolic weight for a lot of us. And because whether you know it or not, you've all been part of a major hair journey for me. Um, the first day that I attended an e-car service uh, was this past Rosh Hashanah. And that was the day that I had a biopsy that eventually revealed I had breast cancer and I needed chemotherapy. So over the course of my time here, I've had hair, I've had no hair, and I've started to grow hair back again. Um, a lot of women who've gone through chemo have told me that they felt losing their hair was like a way of losing their femininity. Um, and in contrast for me, it felt distressingly feminizing um, and the whole experience did. Uh, my short hair had always been a way for me to claim something masculine for myself. It was a way for me to be visibly queer. Um, and in addition to the hair thing, there were all the breast cancer pa uh, pamphlets with smiling women, the pink hospital gowns, a changing room with a kid you not, feather boas and a tiara decorating it. Um, and then I was also, to make it worse, formally diagnosed in Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Um, so just imagine me like running down a street being pursued by a phalanx of giant pink ribbons. That's pretty much what it felt like. <laughs> um, I thought that this would be a good story to share because it really illuminated a few important things to me. Um, one's just the way that we so unnecessarily gender things around us, even illnesses that don't really care at all whether you're a man or a woman or anything else. Um, the other was how much I felt like I'd been reduced to a mere container of cells for my body. How being a patient, and especially being a patient losing a precious symbol of my gender identity, felt like a process of dehumanization. Um, it really made me feel so deep in my soul how closely tied our sense of gender often is to our sense of being human. So challenging was this experience for me that when I had radiation therapy every morning while I lay there on the table feeling like a slab of meat, I would chant in my head over and over again, Elohai Neshama, Shena Tata Vi, Tehorahi, the soul God has given me is pure. In that most intimate of moments, uh, my soul and the gender through which I express it was lying bare before God, at least from the waist up, uh, bald head and all. 
What this means, I realized, is that when we take the time and care to recognize a person's gender identity, what we're doing really is we're acknowledging their soul. We are acknowledging that part of them that's not merely their body, something that ties them to community, because community is not just a collection of bodies, and something that shows the face of God to us through them, uh, through me, and through you. Because I also work as a gender therapist, I've long ago gotten in the habit now of pausing when I encounter anyone, trans, non-binary, cis, or anything else, and just taking a second to bring to mind what I know of their gender identity and their pronouns. And this hair journey that I just shared uh, really highlighted to me how this practice that I've learned to do is actually a moment of tipping my hat, or I guess for a long time, my scarf, <laughs> to each beautiful soul that I encounter um, person by person and day by day. Uh, so when you see the trans flag flying proudly this month, um, I want to suggest that you also take a second to tip your hat mentally to all the souls around you by acknowledging the names and the pronouns and the genders that they share with you that show you pieces of their souls. And to keep doing that person by person, day by day, even when Pride Month is over, it's a great way of being human together. Shabbat Shalom. Amen, amen. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you, Nick, for sharing your reflections, your words today. I uh, will now ask Deborah Gattel to share something that she's prepared. Hi, happy Pride, everyone. I'm just going to share some thoughts. Um, until senior year of college, I only experienced heterosexual relationships. Pop culture is often seen as vacuous. For me, it was a big influence. In the mid-90s, Madonna dropped her Erotica album, which had so many taboo tracks about sex, romance, and even her friends that died of AIDS. After breaking barriers with racial relationships and gender bender videos, she released a controversial coffee table sex book, which was groundbreaking for the time. The tabloids ran stories about her and female lovers. Madonna and Sandra Bernhardt went on the David Letterman show, holding hands and flirting. The number one supermodel of the time, Cindy Crawford and Katie Lang were featured in a provocative position on the cover of Vanity Fair. David Kelly's popular show, LA Law, featured the first kiss between heterosexual female characters, a potential gimmick during TV sweeps. A few years later, Ellen's sitcom, was pulled after her character came out. Bisexuality and lesbianism was in the zeitgeist of popular culture, which chipped away at many stereotypes. After falling in love with Janet during the summer after college, for the first time, I was out of reach and not accessible as usual with my parents. Something beautiful was happening and I kept it a secret. On the drive home from our Rosh Hashanah dinner with our family, out of the blue, my mother Winston said, are you gay? I didn't know the answer. So I just said, well, I have a girlfriend. My mother responded, what? What about all those collect calls from the kibbutz crying about Jonathan? I tried to explain, I'm not sure what I am. I didn't like the idea of labeling myself and I didn't even want to say bisexual or lesbian but she teared up. To her, back in the 90s, it meant no marriage for me, no kids, no grandkids for her. I would be alone like the, the one out lesbian in my small hometown, walking the streets, getting plastered and crashing high school reunions at local bars. She was sad. I clearly disappointed her. At the same time, I was the happiest I'd ever been. One summer night, drinking Zima, and my brother was drinking scotch, I decided to tell him the exciting news about being in love and my evolving sexuality. He said, I don't care. You're my sister. I love you. And I knew he had my back. Years later, I'm finding myself single in New York City. I spent a lot of time in lesbian bars. 
the only place of gathering for women at that time. I was yearning for community. Instead, I felt uncomfortable, discouraged, and alone. I also didn't feel comfortable with my colleagues at Shape Magazine. Even though they were my age, mostly Jewish from New York and New Jersey, during a lunch break in the kitchen, one of the other sales girls said, can you imagine if your child was gay? And that spurred on a conversation. I stayed silent and still attended their fancy engagement party showers and weddings alone. So here's my pre-holiday pitch. When my father died in 2010, I felt a vessel open up. I was committed to saying Kaddish, even though I'd never been a member of a temple before as an adult. After shul shopping, I landed at Ikar with its cross-cultural, intergenerational, and LGBTQ members, I finally found the community I was searching for and found a place I could call home. Thank you. Aww. Thank you, Deborah. Thank you. Uh, and uh, now I want to ask, Agnes Berensky to share a little bit of her story. Shabbat shalom, everybody, and thank you for this invitation, Rabbi Zidok. Um, sometimes I wonder if people think we queers have a superpower, a superpower that allows us to change how we see ourselves in the world overnight, a superpower that allows us to keep track of everyone's pronouns. I've heard people say this gender stuff is about words. Why get so hung up on words? I've heard people say when it comes to names and pronouns and identities and genders, we can keep up, we love you, but sometimes you ask too much too fast. I'm going to tell you a secret. Sometimes I think my friends believe in my femininity more than I do. It's been just over a year since I started going by Agnes and using she pronouns. Sometimes when I hear someone refer to me by my new name or point to me, say her, I feel a secret pang of guilt and shame. You're not a woman, I tell myself. Who are you kidding? And my heart breaks just a little. I know I can't go back to being a boy. I know what I'm doing is right. I heard a voice tell me, lech lecha, go forth. I can't turn around and go home. It would feel like a kind of death. But still, I'm an imposter. Friends play along, but everyone knows it's nonsense. I thought a dress would do it. I thought a name would do it. I thought hormones would do it. None of them do it. I know who I want to be, who I am. But most days I feel like I can't quite escape who I have been. A name and a pronoun are not a magic spell. They can't change anything. But I do think they are a form of prayer. A prayer is a set of words I say before I am ready. Inside I am sighing, rolling my eyes, full of cynicism and doubt, but I move my mouth and make the sounds. I cast the words ahead of where I am and do my best to follow where they're taking me. In October, I visited New York. At a dance show in a concrete basement in Bushwick, I started talking to a friend of a friend, a dancer, a beautiful smile, this stubble hair and a ponytail. She was visiting from Bogota and I was doing my best to keep up conversation in Spanish. A year or so earlier, she had given herself a new name. It would be nice to talk more, I said, when it was time to go. So give me your number, she told me. We met a few days later and started walking south from Washington Square Park. She was talking about her work and kept using the word desubicar, which means to confuse or disorient. In Spanish, unlike English, you get to gender yourself with every adjective. I was feminizing myself all over the place and my heart was hurting with the good kind of hurt, the kind that happens when you feel this intense mutual understanding with someone you barely know. I was definitely desubicada in all the right ways. We get to the Brooklyn Bridge, and she turns to me and says, close your eyes. I do. And she takes my arm and starts to lead me out over the water. At first, I'm just trying to control my breath, but then our bodies find a rhythm. I hear her breath. I hear the city. I hear my heartbeat. I hear cars and the train and cyclists and boomboxes and the birds over the river. And I feel things too. Eventually I can feel through the soles of my feet, and I really mean this, I can feel the open space under the bridge, the wind blowing across the East River. As I'm sure a lot of you know, the Brooklyn Bridge is rather long. 
and we've got one trans girl leading another trans girl with her eyes closed. We're not moving too fast. We're just inching along over all that empty space. I started with pronouns and names, but really I wanted to try and say something about prayer, about feeling stuck and confused and speaking the words before you are ready. The last two years have been the most disorienting years of my life. So many things shifted and broke in myself, in our world, in my own world and all around me. And today my heart is full of sweetness and gratitude. Maybe what I'm trying to say is that we have to be desubicadas to pray. Maybe the doubt and uncertainty are part of the prayer. Maybe our confidence, our clarity, our cynicism are the things that stop us from changing. So my Shabbat wish, my pride wish, is that we give ourselves permission to not be ready and that we speak the words we know we need. Shabbat Shalom. Uh, is Maria Mello. Hi everyone. Thank you so much for having me. I have a little surprise just to start. <laughs> Can you all see these little ones? <laughs> I did the heart for you. Oh, thank you so much. Okay, I will start now. Good evening, everyone. I am so moved to be here tonight. My name is Maria Mello. I am wife to Ilana, mother to Frida and Dahlia, who are students at the ECC. Daughter of Graciela and Arturo, daughter-in-law to Howard and Kathy, and sister-in-law to Leora. Thank you for inviting me to speak tonight and share that on a summer night like this one, seven years ago, the Supreme Court changed the life of my family forever. The one that I had already and the one that my wife, Ilan, and I were until then only dreaming of building together in some corner of the world. I am a Colombian woman, raised Catholic, and my wife is an American woman, Jewish, born and raised in Los Angeles. When our paths crossed for the first time, I was a Colombian diplomat in LA and Ilana was a nonprofit social justice professional. When we met in a way, I always joke that we fell in love in a hopeless place like the Rihanna song. While we had so much on our side, so many places of privilege that others that immigrate to America do not have. The fact is that our biggest challenge was that Ilana and I couldn't get legally married in any of the countries where we were from nor sponsor resident visas for each other. In practice, that meant that there was a lot of love, but we, set, we could not set down roots long-term anywhere to start a family, not in Colombia, not in the United States, and not in any place that my diplomat job took me. It's funny to me to think that when I was young, older people always told me that I couldn't live on love only and I rolled my eyes. Today, as a mom raising an LGBT, interfaith, multi-ethnic Jewish family with my spouse, I could not agree more with that. The life that Ilana and our family have in this moment in time is a result of a lot, a lot of hard work by a lot, lot of people. I will be forever thankful to the passion of thousands of LGBT rights and social justice advocates, families, friends, religious communities like ECAR, and allies that mobilized and joined our fight for marriage equality, including my family. Thanks to them, our family is with you tonight and was able to make a surprise appearance of my daughters, Dahlia, Frida, and Ilana. In 2013, the Supreme Court not only struck down the Defense of Marriage Act and Prop 8 in California, allowing same-sex a couple in our state again, but it also allowed Ilana to sponsor a resident visa for me, a green card. That's how we ended up staying in Los Angeles. Two years later after that, after much litigation on June 26 of 2015, that's five years ago today, Marriage equality became the law of the land in every single state of America. As I reflect and celebrate the Supreme Court decisions 
of back then, as well as this week's historic decision on LGBT workplace protections. I cannot help but think of how many families more can join us the next time we gather, how many individuals can join us the next time we gather, and friends. While these are incredible wins that fill my heart with joy, especially because nowadays I, I work in the field of advocacy at the LGBT, at a LGBT rights organization, really the Los Angeles LGBT Center. I went from diplomat to activist. The truth is I believe we must continue fighting for true equality and justice on many fronts. We know that one court decision alone is not enough. Legal equality in certain areas does not mean that you are equal in today's America. Black LGBT people still face deadly intolerance and discrimination at the intersection of their identities. Trans, our trans community is also still in danger in our country. So far, I believe there are more than 30 lives that have been lost to violence. So I can say that all of this reminds us that none of us are free until all of us are treated equally under the law and by society. And I hope to be part of that struggle. Thank you. I want to invite Nicholas Lasarelli to share some reflections for us. Thank you. Gay. Yeah, you said it. Gay, 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 gay. There, I said it, I said it. Is everyone okay? Are we all right? Okay, of course we are. This is ICAR, where we strive to recognize the dignity of our trans and queer community members. And it's easy for me to say gay here, but in many places, it isn't easy to say gay. I'm from Santa Clarita, which is a historically, politically, and religiously conservative city. There, like in many places in the United States, it isn't so easy to say gay. I know many people who grew up hearing, don't talk about it. Don't even say the word gay in this household. And there are many people who still grow up that way. So story time, in high school, uh, as a closeted teenager, when I saw that the Gay and Lesbian Association for Student Support, GLASS, which is a mouthful, uh, was, which was formerly called the AIDS Awareness Club in 90s, which there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, when, I, when I found that it was gonna become leaderless and dissolve, I knew I couldn't let that happen, right? So I, I became president of the club and I went through all of the appropriate channels to change the name from the unrecognizable GLASS to the more recognizable GSA, the Gay Straight Alliance, which I think a lot of us are familiar with here, right? Um, because I'd heard so many people say, wow, I didn't even know a club like that existed on campus. And, and I knew that if they had just known if, if we had a more recognizable name that more people would would be able to come to the club and, and seek out what the club had to offer and have a space to be themselves and, and, and explore what that even means. Um, uh, so I was met with a lot of pushback. Uh, our weekly announcements were either omitted or, or altered. Uh, teachers and students tore down our flyers and some teachers refused to even let us put up flyers. And uh, I was even threatened with suspension by the faculty advisor of the Associated Student Body, he, uh, which was wild, he sent, yeah, he sent, he sent I'm gonna, not gonna use any names, but it, it, was, it was a wild experience. He, he sent two students to pull me out of math class uh, and say, if you don't change the name from GSA back to GLASS, we're gonna suspend you, right? Uh, and uh, I don't know where I got the chutzpah as a, as a closeted teenager at this time, but you know, it's like when you're young, you're like, you feel like you know what's right and wrong. And, and, and sometimes you're just willing to risk more. Um, so I, I told these students that came to pull me out of class, I said like, you can't do this. We went through all the correct avenues of, of changing the name of the constitution of the club. And our club exists because of the same law that allows the Bible club to exist on this campus. Uh, so you tell him he can't do this. Thank you very much, goodbye. Um, so I then took it to the principal and uh, I told him, I was like, look, <laughs> I was like, look, if you don't make this right, I'm gonna take this to the local news. And there was nothing that this principal was afraid of more than bad press, right? So he folded, uh, we won, uh, which was great. <laughs> uh, and uh, and uh, yeah, so yeah, I did all this, but it, it, it did come at, at a personal cost because 
throughout this process, I was outed to my mom. Um, I was met with a lot of like harassment and bullying. And, uh, but in the end it was, it was, oh, 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 yeah. And then, then there was <laughs> this crazy thing I learned about recently. Uh, apparently there was this like plot by the football team and it sounds super cliche uh, to attack me like brutally. And uh, it was thwarted by a football player who like brought it up to his coach and they had a whole uh, sort of sit down about it. And, and this, whole, this whole thing that which just seems so simple to change the name from Glass to GSA actually sent ripples through the school, right? Because they were afraid of, they're afraid of the language. They're afraid of people knowing that there was a club, that there was a gay and lesbian club, a queer club on campus. Um, but despite all that in the end, it was worth it because the club still exists. Uh, I reached out to, I, I, I pulled up the website of Hart High School, which is where I went. And I found that the GSA was still there. And uh, as I said before, in the 90s, it was called the AIDS Awareness Club. Then it became GLASS, the Gay and Lesbian, Gay and Lesbian Association for Student Support. And then GSA, I know it's a lot, GSA, the Gay Straight Alliance. Um, but then some other student or students took it upon themselves to, to give the name and uh, give the club a new name, um, which was still GSA. And they called it now the Gender Sexuality Alliance, which I think is so, I was like, I just think it's so, beautiful and brilliant and so much more inclusive. And it's just so inspiring to see the club grow and change and, and become and become more of a space where people can really step into their truth, you know? Um, so why am I telling you all this? Well, this Pride Shabbat, that part's a little obvious, um, but undoubtedly there were students in every iteration of this club who didn't know it existed because the language was unclear and the social and political climate made it too risky to get involved. Uh, and there were students who, who, who didn't have access to this space in a city that wanted them to simply sit down and shut up at the time, which caused a lot of harm. And I started out this with saying, gay, 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 or are we okay? Um, and I've actually heard plenty of people in our kind of LA bubble and, and, and beyond say, well, it's, it's easier to be queer, trans, ace, lesbian, and so on these days, what's the big deal? But the fact of the matter is that uh, the world uh, the world seeming to get queerer is just an illusion because we've always been here. It's always been this queer, but with, with tireless work by queer activists and allies, more people have been able to come out and step into their truths. And, and uh, like Rabbit Sadok touched on earlier, progress isn't, isn't just an point A to point B to point C to point D kind of thing. We don't, we don't just arrive at from point A to point D and we're like, great, we did it. Um, things can always go backwards. And there may come a day where I get up here and I, I can't say gay, I can't say trans, I can't say bi, and, and, but, but I do wanna fight like hell to make sure that we can always stand up and speak our truth. And I want us to realize that it doesn't just get better, right? I don't know if you're all familiar with the It Gets Better campaign, which I think was well-intentioned, but there's something to it where it's like, don't worry, I know it's bad now, but it's just gonna get better. And it's like, you know what? It doesn't just get better. It gets better when we make it better, right? Um, and so I was thinking today about uh, the Haftarah that, that we'll hear tomorrow from Zachariah, from Zechariah, um, where he has this vision of the golden menorah and these two olive trees. And uh, my teacher, Dr. Habibi, told us in, in, our, in, our, in our, one of our classes that it's supposed to represent uh, Israel and Judah um, and their sort of unification uh, in Zechariah's vision, right? Um, so with that in mind, I, I was thinking I really want us all to be part of this ongoing vision put into action in which we can restoratively stand side by side like these two olive trees and our God-given holiness with dignity and joy. And, and, and also just remember that the struggle has always been work and it will continue to be work. Um, but as long as we're doing it together, uh, we, can really, we can really make this holy work happen. So I wanna thank you all um, for this opportunity to speak and happy pride and Shabbat Shalom. Thank you, thank you. Happy Pride, amen, amen. All right, I wanna call up Leah Newman to share some reflections for us this evening. So I'm uh, trying something that's like new and a challenge for me. I wrote a first draft of this, but I'm an actor and I've done about seven years of improv. So I figured I would just like improvise this a little bit. 
So if I go off the rails, blame the groundlings. <laughs> so about uh, last month, yeah, last month I was in Berlin um, after a two week trip to Europe. And as some of you may know, Berlin is like the queerest city on the planet. And that's sort of where I embraced that label for the first time. Um, but while I was there, I went to the Holocaust Memorial, of course, and I just started weeping. Like, it was the first time where I, you know, obviously growing up Jewish, that was constantly on our minds, but now there was the confluence of being Jewish and queer. And so it just really hit me that that's not talked about a lot, the queer aspect of the Holocaust kind of scared me. Uh, so it brought me back to the, the kind of the relationship, the two communities, like the queer community is actively traumatized and the Jewish community is doing a lot better, but very historically traumatized. And as a result of that, the Jewish community has developed these coping strategies that, you know, intergenerational trauma has caused a sense of um, strategies that I think have no longer served the community. Um, the biggest one being, and, and I didn't actually realize I was trans until two years ago, but the amount of sameness that we are forced to like exist in the Jewish community is, is honestly tragic. Um, to be different is to not be okay unfortunately and it's getting better but it's it's a lot more talk than action um so i was like very involved growing up in the jewish community i was president of my synagogue i was a founding father of alpha epsilon pi fraternity i really want to go to a convention and they'll be like who's this chick here you know <laughs> but once i accepted being different there's not a clear path for me here not here literally but the greater jewish community at large and so i've done a lot of work on myself i will proudly say that um to break down who i am what makes me special and to find a place for me um Lately, I've been thinking a lot about vulnerability and how the path to connection is by being vulnerable, by being open, by sharing without a script. Uh, and it's led me to some really amazing, interesting places. Like I was at a Shavuot event and I like met someone there. <laughs> yes, please. I'm. <laughs> And it's like going really well. Um, and so I just challenge everybody. <laughs> it's very new and just, but like all same sex female couples going very fast, so. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the groundling is keeping me off track right now. Um, I was gonna say, oh yes, so. The work that I've done to, to discover my vulnerability, to actually be vulnerable with another person, we cried together on a second date. Like, come on. Like, <laughs> it's very real and very raw. And it's, I think, important that all of us take a look in the mirror and, and, and walk into our vulnerability to have deeper connections that aren't based on sameness, but are unique differences that will bring us all together and allow people who are not like us, you know, ethnic, racial, um, gender, sexuality, minorities to feel welcome in Jewish spaces. So thank you, everybody. And I appreciate your time. And Shabbat Shalom. Thank you so much, Leah. And uh, here's hoping, here's hoping everything continues to go in beautiful and connected ways, as it, as, as it should. Um, all right, well, part of what I love about this is, is 
thinking about our community um, and we've been doing this storytelling for many, many years. And um, if you're somebody in the community who's like, I would love to do this next year in the future, or don't know what it means because I don't know what your prompt is because clearly there's not a specific prompt, but um, just come and come and talk to me. You know, we always happy, always happy to, to get to hear from people, including um, for our second time in our, in our storytelling, uh, uh, the years that we've been doing this, um, the teen uh, kid of... Um, uh, in an LGBTQ family. So I'm gonna invite up Levi Greenberg-Creel to, uh, to be our next speaker. Okay. <clears throat> so there's a frame picture hanging on our wall of a handmade sign that says, let me marry the woman I love. My mom carried this sign in March 14, in a March 14 years ago, 2004. My moms had their non-legal marriage on May 16th, 2004, the day before Massachusetts became the first state to start issuing marriage license to the same to same-sex couples. <clears throat> 2008, three days before I was born, gay marriage became legal in California. And they started giving out marriage license to gay couples. Actually, Today's the anniversary, June 17th, 14 years ago. So if you want to know how much time has passed since gay marriage has been legal in California, you're looking at it. <laughs> um, 2013 was one of the most impactful years in my family's history. A week or so after my little brother Milo was born, gay marriage became legal in the entire country. That was nine years ago. Three, um, the, um, these ways, um, the way these two amazing events overlap show that the gay rights timeline is the timeline of my family. My whole life, gay marriage has been legal and I haven't experienced any extreme discrimination, but lately these rights seem they can be rolled back. Um, <clears throat> Listen to what I read from the Times Magazine. Okay. In the past two years, conservative state lawmakers have in introduced a wave of anti-LGBTQ legislation, including roughly 240 anti-LGBTQ bills in 2022 alone. I know from my parents that even to this day, every time they hold hands in the street, they have to think first. They filter everything they do in public through the lens of, am I safe? The idea of rolling back any rights doesn't just affect people like my moms, it affects people like their family, it affects people like me. I know that there are other places in the world where family of mine would not be possible. I hope and pray that there are other families that can live in the world of peace and with a sense of belonging and no hatred. Thank you. Thank you, Levi. Thank you. Sometimes it takes a little bit more rabbinic, uh, rabbinic nudging to, to get someone to agree to do it. Um, but so grateful that you shared. I, would, I didn't mean Levi, I meant some of the other speakers too. It's pretty much everybody. Um, thank you. Thank you. And um, for our fourth and last speaker for today, I want to invite up Esty Kilmer. I'm hammered. <laughs> <laughs> okay, eggs, butter, cream, honey, that's not the, okay. Um, for real, I am brought to tears this Shabbat as I am at every car service, which I am lucky enough to attend with my wife and two beautiful children. I'm probably gonna start crying, but that's the fireball talking. <laughs> Uh, it still feels very much surreal to enter this welcoming and loving space and find this incredible intersection between my Jewish self and my gay self, a crossroads I never imagined would be possible. Growing up in LA, I was raised by Israeli immigrants who, despite having never observed a Shabbat in their lives, sent my brother and me to an Orthodox Jewish day and high school because that's real Judaism. 
you know the type, Shabbat dinner is followed by a movie, Saturday means a day spent at the mall, but you can bet your shmura matzah that twice a year we're going to shul and it will be an orthodox one. <laughs> Never mind that my uncle and I had this awesome family tradition of breaking our Yom Kippur fast at Pink's Hot Dogs. It was great, seriously. Um, still, I felt an immensely strong connection to my Jewish self, although it was in constant conflict with both my gay and secular selves. For years, I tried with all my might to squash those two nagging disobedient parts until finally one brave day, I came out to my traditional Jewish mother whose shock confirmed that denial is not only a river in Egypt. Adding to the difficulty of coming out in and of itself was my certainty of the fact that my Jewish life as I had known it would be over. Who had ever heard of a traditional non-practicing Orthodox lesbian? Turns out lots of people. <laughs> Enter Ikar. <laughs> My public radio nerdism really paid off for me about four years ago when I heard Rabbi Brow speak on, I don't remember if it was KPCC or um, the other one. And my life basically changed forever. I immediately looked up Ikar online, emailed Rabbi Browse directly, gave her my quick spiel, and was directed to Beth for, to our, for our first of many bite-sized Shabbats, where I spent almost the entire time in tears. I could not believe that a space like this existed, a space where all types of people could come together and celebrate the beauty of Judaism in a way that felt familiar to me, but with the warmth and level of acceptance I'd never seen before. It's basically an entire community of traditional non-practicing Orthodox lesbians. <laughs> I really found my spiritual home. Through this amazing community, my wife and I have made lifelong friends um, and our children have attended preschool. We have prayed and played and have seen a swath of people participating in Judaism in ways that have made me feel so proud. I've said this many times before, and I'll say it again now, Ikar saved my Judaism, and I feel blessed to be part of this incredible movement towards greater love and acceptance for all. Thank you, L'chaim, and Shabbat Shalom. <laughs> to, to the non-practicing, orthodox, lesbian, traditional, secular, to all of it, to all of you. Um, tomorrow we're going to read from Parshat Bahalotcha, and it starts with this instruction to Aaron, um, this instruction of lighting the lighting the, the menorah um, in the temple. Bahalotcha etane wrote when you. It's not when you light. It's not. It's not when you It's when you when you lift up the lights, the flames. And Rashi, traditional, famous traditional commentary. Orthodox, lesbian, French. No, I'm just kidding. Um, he says he says that they had to light them until the point that those flames could lift themselves. They had to light them until the flames could could lift themselves. And I think what a beautiful idea about the way that people impact our lives. The people who give us light and they keep giving us light or they give us light in a way that allows us to, to find our own light, to, to let that light lift and let that light shine. To our speakers tonight, to Nick, to Leah, to Levi, and to Esti, thank you for, for shining your light just a little bit more tonight for us and for, for all the people who needed to hear your words and needed to hear your stories. And, and with gratitude to, to all those who have come through my life and helped my light lift and, and, and glow on its own. And, and for all of you to just take a moment and, and to, to think and to, to offer love and send gratitude across the waves, across time, across space, um, to some of those folks who have done that for you. I pray, I pray that as we, as we close this part of, of our, our evening, though I wish, I wish we could keep going, um, I, I pray that everyone finds the light that you need and, and also recognizes the power that you have to be that lighter uh, for others um, and to allow all of us to stand in strength and in glory and in beauty. Shabbat Shalom. Thanks, everybody.
Hi, it's Rabbi Brous again. Thank you so much for listening. Want more content like this? I hope you'll subscribe and please consider making a contribution to Ikar so we can continue to work toward the fulfillment of our mission to reanimate Jewish life, to embody moral courage, to nurture the spirit, and to work to decipher what it means to be a human being in the world today. Visit our website at ikar.org. That's I-K-A-R.org. And I hope to see you maybe even in person sometime soon.